Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As many of you will have seen by now, FIFA is going ahead, or at least trying to go ahead, with a biennial World Cup that would see the world's biggest tournament happen every two years, as opposed to the four-year schedule that we see currently. So today I'm joined by Simon Evans, who is a, a reporter for Reuters, a football correspondent for them, and of course, Karthik Krishnar, who many of you World Soccer Talk fans will know. Simon, I want to start with you. You were watching a recent press conference with... FIFA and Gianni Infantino and Arsene Wenger about the reality and the possibility of a biennial World Cup. So for those of the, uh, the for those of the listeners and viewers that may have missed that, what are the big takeaways that Infantino and Wenger discussed in the possibility of a biennial World Cup in the near future? So on Monday, FIFA held what they called a global summit with all of the national football uh, federations from around the world. Over 200 of them were on the call. And they went through the feasibility study that they've been talking about for a long time, but haven't actually delivered. And they they finally delivered it at this meeting, and it included um, the key takeaways, I think, for the member associations, which was uh, the financial boost it would give, that basically it would bring in uh, the estimated revenue for uh, 48-team World Cup. The first one of those will, of course, be in North America in 2026 is, um, I think, uh, seven uh, billion over the four-year cycle with all the rights and the deals. And they believe that going to a biannual one would, would lift it uh, up above 11 uh, billion. So they're not saying they would double the money, which was something that was being uh, talked about, that you know you won't double money by having two tournaments. It's not as simple as that. Business doesn't work like that. But they're saying there will be a significant boost. They would put three and a half billion dollars into a new fund to develop the game around the world which would be distributed out to all the different member associations so you can imagine that uh, during that hearing that some of the smaller federations from around the world would be you know their ears would prick up at that point about the extra cash that they would get from that so that was the main point that came out on monday and that was obviously um you know something infantino and fifa were keen to get across to those uh, federations now, Simon, you talk about the, the smaller nations. They might uh, see this proposal and say, well, we might have an opportunity to make some more money here. But for the bigger nations, the ones in UEFA and Comable, what are their reactions to this biennial World Cup? Well, they're completely against it so far. Um, we've, hear, we've had a very hostile reaction from UEFA. Alexander Seferin, the president of UEFA, 
has even talked about boycotting any additional World Cup. And of course, it's not really a World Cup if it doesn't have the European teams there. And Comabol are in a firm alliance at the moment with UEFA on this. And in fact, last week, um, UEFA came out and said they were looking into a plan to expand the Nations League, uh, UEFA's Nations League, to include South American teams in it which was really a shot across the balls to, to, to FIFA over this. So it is a real battle between Infantino and Seferin, between uh, FIFA and UEFA over this one. And Infantino is able to turn around and say, hey, I have to govern the whole world, not just one part of it. But of course, uh, Seferin is saying that this would damage football globally by, by undermining the, its prime product. And Kartik, what about you? I mean, it kind of seems like we're on the fence right now about we could see a massive divide in the soccer world and we could see a moment of unity, perhaps. But Comabo and UEFA, they seem, as Simon mentions, very much against this biennial World Cup. For you, where do you see this going? And I know FIFA has their plans and Comabo and UEFA have their plans. So in the near future, say both sides want to go ahead with their own ideas, what could this mean for the soccer world as a whole? Well, commercially, the World Cup is not a viable property globally without European and South American nations participating, particularly European nations, right? Uh, commercially, those are the two confederations, those are the two uh, continents which have won every World Cup, are the most recognized international brands. So it, it really puts a, uh, a, 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 a you know a chink in, in, in the kind of plans that uh, FIFA has. Now, FIFA has known for a long time this, uh, this this battle, and Simon's been reporting on this for seven or eight years now, this this, this kind of battle with UEFA even began when Infantino was at UEFA. Uh, and it, and it's really expanded. Uh, that's, a, that's a great irony when you think about it, but really expanded since Infantino became the president of FIFA and has, uh, I would say, realigned the commercial partnerships of FIFA to where you have very few sponsors from Western Europe. Uh, you have, well, Adidas, I think, is the only one left only remaining sponsor from Western Europe. You have no sponsors from South America. And you have now uh, presenting sponsors of, UA, uh, of FIFA competitions that are largely Asian, Middle Eastern, or uh, American companies. And you see the, uh, the direction which Infantino has taken FIFA is not only in a direction which uh, placates small nations who control the voting, uh, the voting power in, in FIFA and got him elected. So small nations like Montserrat has as much uh, of a voting power in uh, FIFA as Germany does, right? Uh, Papua New Guinea has as much of a voting power in FIFA as Brazil does, but also to the commercial powers uh, behind FIFA now, which are uh, namely China, South Korea, uh, the Gulf states, uh, Russia, and the United States. So uh, I think that a lot of this has to do with commercial considerations as to maybe the desires of those emerging nations, if you want to call them emerging football nations, large economic powers versus the traditional powers in the sport in Western Europe and in South America. Simon, a word we've been throwing around a lot is commercial and the possible revenues for FIFA, but outside of money, is there any potential gain that FIFA sees here in a biennial World Cup? Well, if you listen to Arsene Wenger, his whole pitch is that this is about developing opportunities uh, for the game, giving more chances to compete and watch the World Cup to people from the parts of the world Kartik was just talking about that have the com increasingly commercial influence over over FIFA. Um, there is This is part of the overall review of the international match calendar. So they're talking about uh, women's soccer as well. They're talking about youth competitions and increasing those and so on. 
The problem a little bit with the argument, and I, and I, and I raised this in, in, in one of the press uh, sessions we had with Arsene Wenger when he made his presentation, is that holding a World Cup uh, more frequently doesn't necessarily broaden the base of countries that will participate in, in it significantly because most of the countries who would qualify for a World Cup in 2026 are going to be there again if you had it in 2028. Um, so if the, the argument from a development point of view, um, I don't think is a particularly strong one. Um, I think they're on stronger ground when they talk about if we don't do these tournaments, other things happen anyway. This has been one of the pushbacks to when people talk about the schedule getting too crowded and, and players needing rest. They're saying, look, we're building in a mandatory rest period. And look what happens when we don't have major tournaments. The clubs go off on tours to Asia and North America anyway. Um, again, you know, that would have to have an asterisk next to it because when those teams go, as American fans know very well, and they come over and play exhibition games in the summer, it isn't their strongest team and they're not playing at 100%. It's nothing like playing in a World Cup in terms of the strain that there would be on, on the players. So they're arguing that they're spreading the game around and giving more opportunity. I mean, technically, it is more opportunity if there are more World Cups. But... Um, there are other ways they could do that that wouldn't be that would be far more beneficial from a development point of view, but wouldn't have anywhere near the commercial appeal. For example, you could have a B World Cup. You could have the next 48 teams who didn't qualify for the World Cup play in a tournament somewhere and then develop the game. You could have, you know, Vietnam versus Northern Ireland or something like that, you know, in those games. That would be developing the game. That would be increasing opportunities, but it wouldn't have any kind of commercial appeal. So I think what we got down to on Monday was was the 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 heart of the matter, which is it is a commercial proposition. Correct. Yeah, something that I think is kind of flying under the radar right now is the players themselves. So there, we've already talked about the number of games that these players are playing, and Simon mentioned that this is a total rescheduling or at least a revisit to the international calendar, but. You know, the players, a lot of them, generally speaking, the best ones are in UEFA. They're playing in South America. So, obviously, those federations are going to have a say as to what happens with the club schedule. And, obviously, that's going to impact what happens with the players at the international level. So, what does this mean for players going forward, you think? Yes. So, actually, one alternative, one other alternative I throw out there to, to the ones that Simon mentioned is the idea of a global nations league which is something that maybe UEFA is already on the way to proposing that with Comnibal participation. That would actually be something that I think would be more beneficial in existing uh, uh, international windows if you want to create a competition that includes more countries and involves more of a uh, uh, opportunity for nations that are not qualifying for the World Cup and, and increases development funds, et cetera, raises some commercial revenue, not quite, quite frankly, not on the level that uh, another World Cup or annual World Cup would, but I think that's another possibility. Uh, in terms of uh, players, this is a, a bad proposition. Now, Wenger and his proposals has talked about um, reshifting the calendar in the way that you take care of, of players, uh, or at least ostensibly, that's the theory, you take care of players and that you have a block of, of club football uninterrupted and then a block of internationals uninterrupted and not the, the constant international breaks and back and forth and players getting on airplanes, which creates strain, traveling, which creates strain. We saw in this COVID era, the complication that creates when players come back uh, from South America or come back from Africa, uh, come back to the UK or Italy or Germany and have to quarantine. 
right? So that's been a, a another uh, another factor. But uh, the strain on players is getting worse and worse. We're seeing more injuries. We're seeing more nagging injuries. I, I've observed in the last few weeks, we've seen more guys subbed out in the first 20 minutes of Premier League matches than I ever remember. Guys getting hurt in the eighth minute and being subbed off. Guys getting Jack Harrison the other day uh, for uh, – for, for leads, among others, right? He, he went off in the 16th minute. Uh, there was a, an injury to Johnny Evans in the sixth minute for Leicester the week before. And, and um, I should be tracking this. I mean, I've kind of anecdotally seen six or seven guys subbed off in the first 20 minutes of matches in the Premier League in the last three match days, the last two weeks. So uh, there is a increasing strain on players coming from uh, uh, COVID-19, which compressed the schedule and the constant international breaks and flying off and representing your national teams. And this uh, uh, decision by FIFA to pack three international match days or by also the confederations to pack in three international match days in one window. So you have uh, uh, guys who are playing uh, every four days at the club level, playing traveling and then playing every three days at the international level. And inherent in the international game is travel within that period. So. Uh, yeah, player welfare is, is an overriding consideration, and this is not going to help it in spite of what FIFA claims. Simon, I have one last question for you, and it relates to, at least kind of in a way, uh, the fans' interpretation of what this means. And Johnny Infantino has said repeatedly that his surveys and FIFA surveys have shown that many people support a biennial World Cup just because it means that there's more games and more competitions. But I think, at least for me, when I look on social media and look at other people, the general consensus seems to be that people are against this idea, and sure, surely a lot of that's because people on social media are generally speaking from, from Europe and North America and South America, at least the ones that I'm seeing. But I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on the, the, the fans' appreciation or disappreciation of a biennial World Cup. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, FIFA put out a survey last week of, of fan opinion around the world which did show that difference that you were suggesting there between between the people in the, you know, let's call it the developed soccer markets and people in emerging soccer markets. Um, I think India was the country actually that, that they highlighted had the most support for, uh, for having a biennial World Cup. And I had, I, I'm not going to go into the whole methodology debate about that research or the whole question about various research about economics and opinion and so on that, that comes out that always seems to back up the position of the organization that's commissioning it. We'll leave that aside. I can totally believe the argument that there there are fans in, in, in Asia and the Middle East and in Africa and no doubt in some parts of Europe who would like the idea of it because it's great TV. Yeah. I mean if, if you're if you're consuming this sport primarily and this is where you really get into the whole discussion about the development of the game. But if you're consuming this sport primarily as a televised product because you don't have a powerful national league with, with, with players you want to go and watch every week or, or you do go and watch that, but the real excitement for you is watching on television, um, then having the World Cup every two years for a month's entertainment during a summer... I, I can see why that appeals to people. Absolutely. Now, in Europe, people are saying we've got too much soccer on TV. It's nonstop. It's every night. We've got cup competitions. We've got Champions League expanding. We've got a bigger group stage for that. We've got a new conference league as well as the Europa League. I can totally understand why people in Europe would say like, whoa, you know, I like watching cricket in summer. I like watching tennis. I like watching golf. I want a break from this constant, constant wall-to-wall uh, -wall soccer on television. So I think that those fans are looking at it from a very, very different perspective. And fundamentally, that gets to the heart of this whole issue. When we're talking about development, opportunity, 
the commercial aspect that Kartik highlighted about where these sponsors are coming from, the the there's the interests within the game are becoming more and more divergent. It's no longer a case of Europe sending out coaches to developing countries and, and trying to spread the game to them. No, the game's already been spread and it's developing in a very different way in different parts of the world. And Gianni Infantino as FIFA president is well aware of that. He's also aware that politically, and this is an important point that we haven't really touched upon, but politically, he can't lose from this situation because if he if he gets this World Cup extra World Cup through and he gets the revenue that he then is able to distribute to developing countries, football associations, they'll love him for it. They're going to vote for him again. If he doesn't and he can turn around and say, it's the rich, privileged guys in Europe who've done this to you. They didn't give you the extra resources. Don't ever let them be in charge of FIFA. You better keep voting for me. He also wins. Yeah, Kartik, uh, I want to take Simon's point to make it a little more localized. You could say the U.S. is a developed nation, sure, but they're still an emerging soccer market. It's one of the fastest-growing sports here in the country. So we did reach out to U.S. soccer to see what their stance was on the matter, and they did not have a comment. Perhaps they wanted to gather information on FIFA surveys. But for you, what does it mean to have U.S. soccer not having any comment? And we've seen CONCACAF be a little more you know, accepting, maybe a little more lenient to that idea, especially compared to Comabo and UEFA. So looking at U.S. soccer and the sport here in North America, what does it mean for a biennial World Cup? Well, CONCACAF will benefit from it because there are an uh, umpty number of uh, less developed football nations in CONCACAF and a, a great voting block and a voting block that G Gianni Infantino is particularly uh, cognizant of and has uh, been very, very uh, accepting of and, and done things uh, in terms of football development grants uh, and, and other things, even on a higher order than Sepp Blatter, who was very close. Uh, we know about Sepp Blatter's history with CONCACAF, right? That's been well documented, but even on, on a higher order. Uh, in terms of U.S. soccer, uh, you, we got no comment from them, obviously, but uh, Major League Soccer, which uh, is the dominant presence in terms of the politics of the U.S. Soccer Federation and in terms of kind of the media narrative in the United States, Don Garber has, has made it clear that, that uh, he's not really a fan of this idea and, and that it would be uh, disruptive to Major League Soccer, who, of course, you know, part of the issue with MLS is MLS operates on a different calendar, which we've talked about. We talked about in the previous uh, video that we did. And that's a uh, that's a uh, another uh, you know, complication if you're going to go into this kind of universal set uh, block of club game matches and then block of international matches. I don't think the U.S. and Mexico, uh, those two countries, and probably Canada as well, the three North American nations, the three nations that are part of the North NAM uh, block of CONCACAF, uh, which is an acronym for three different regions that are part of uh, a single confederation. I don't think those three countries are going to be favorable towards this, this idea. However, the bulk of CONCACAF will be because, as Simon mentioned, you're talking about 11 million, uh, 11 billion over uh, a four-year cycle versus seven. So that's a lot more development money, a lot more in development grants, and also opportunity for the vast majority of CONCACAF nations. And CONCACAF has the second largest voting block in UEFA, uh, excuse me, in FIFA behind uh, behind the Asian uh, Confederation. So um, I think that the, the, this region is is on balance. The football governing authorities in this region are in favor of, uh, of, of a biennial World Cup. Now the U.S. I think is probably not in favor of it in spite of that no comment, but they, uh, they don't hold the sway in this region. 
I think it's a good place to uh, wrap up right there. So I want to thank you, uh, Simon and Kartik. Make sure to check out Simon's information. Uh, he can be found on Twitter, as I mentioned before, a football correspondent for Reuters. And obviously Kartik is uh, always on Twitter. And a frequent guest on the World Soccer Talk podcast, as many of you know. So Simon, thank you. And Kartik, thank you. And we'll see you next time. Cheers, Cal. Cheers. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>